Today's show, The Doctor, we'll see you now. Doctor Strange has a big movie. It's swarming the multi- multiplexes, and it's about multiverses, so it's a lot of multi-stuff going on. Multiverses, multiplexes, but I am here to talk to you about comic books, the greatest Doctor Strange comic books that I have experienced in my lifetime, the finest run, the best assortment of the finest artists that went on a four-year jam on this book, and I'm going to share it all with you and enlighten you on today's observations. Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another edition of Rob Observations. Rob Observations is the show about comic books. Its base, its bedrock is comic books and everything that springs from it. And nowadays, that's a streaming show. That's a cartoon. That's an animated show, uh, animated movie. It's it's uh, it's 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 all these Marvel and DC movies coming at you at the, in the Cineplex. It's video games. It's toys. It's collectible card games comic books has become the source for so much. And I'm here really to talk about the comic books. I kind of had some introspective like reflection and I'm like, I I think maybe I talk too much about the movies and the TV and all that stuff because you know, you want to know why I don't spend anywhere near the time that I do with those items as I do with all of these exceptional comic books that I have been obsessed with since my youth. This started this, this entire endeavor uh, with the comics and the podcast started uh, two years ago, almost two years ago to the day. And I started broadcasting and talking about my obsession and my passion. It's been semi-therapeutic. It started in the loneliness of the pandemic. And I decided I would share my passion with you guys. And it's carried forth uh, all the way up to this 190th, whatever episode this is. And really the at the core of each and every episode is I just love I love the comic books. I love the comic book creators. I love the magic that is created on the page. And so much of what is created on the page is now, you know, being utilized to bring you uh, so much of the fantastic entertainment you're getting. Let's not discount. I mean, look, uh, is there 20 seasons of Walking Dead already between all of the different spinoffs? It's, it's got to be approaching something like that. And and I mean, look, Walking Dead is a comic book, a comic book started by Robert Kirkman. It was um, a brilliant piece of work. It's like a Western styled apocalyptic apocalyptic zombie uh, uh, story that just carried all, all of our imaginations away and then became this giant runaway hit for, for AMC. It transformed their network. I mean, so literally we can go back 12, you know, 13 years to the, to the inception of that, to where it was purchased, produced, made, aired. Obviously, we've been living in this Marvel era of films. DC uh, also has been ramping up all their production. We see this stuff all over the streaming and and uh, mostly the streaming. I mean, whether it's an Invincible cartoon, again, by Robert Kirkman or The Boys, or again, all of the different Disney Plus, the HBO Max. I mean, look, we live in this superhero comic book world, and I was part of the generation uh, that, that, was, that was there when it was all, you know, fresh and new. Think about the fact that when I grabbed Avengers... 141 in 1975 that we're we're looking at you know the the marvel universe was 13 12 years old i mean not terribly uh uh you know it, it was barely a teenager and now whoa you know for guys like me and and, and i know they pushed the dates back 
and 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 they'll go back to like the very very first Marvel stuff. But I'm talking about the Marvel superhero universe, the arrival of Spider-Man by by Ditko and Lee and Thor and Fantastic Four and the Avengers and X-Men and all that early Marvel stuff. And now you look and you see, I mean, if I have been collecting comics, which I have <laughs> for like 47 years, uh, you know, obviously the, 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 this, this, there's really been a stretch of time, but they captured my imagination and there was no looking back. Today we are diving directly into Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is a movie. I'm not here to talk about the movie. I didn't even see the movie. I did not go to the premiere. I just have, uh, have had way too much going on and I am always so happy to get that invite, to get extended uh, that premiere. And now, ultimately, I don't even know if in the next few weeks I have multiple kids graduating from college and high school. And so so Doctor Strange, uh, Multiverse of Madness is probably not in my immediate future. But that's okay, because I want to tell you about the great Doctor Strange comic books. I want you to check out, find, consume the great Doctor Strange comics. And, and unsurprisingly, there are fantastic amazing Doctor Strange comic books that I want to share with you that I want you to examine and find out and discover. Now, not not all of them are fantastic and spectacular. Doctor Strange has always been, I think, one of the more interesting, compelling uh, uh, characters in the Marvel canon. Obviously, visually, I've gone over in several different uh, podcasts, whether it's Stan Lee versus Steve Ditko or, you know, uh, just the dedicated uh, different podcasts we've done on all the different runs and eras and titles that Marvel's published. Doctor Strange has one of the best visual representations ever. Thank you. Thanks to, you know, Steve Ditko, who supplied us with everything from the outset, whether it was uh, Doctor Strange, Baron Mordo, Nightmare, uh, uh, Dormammu, uh, all of these different realms and the way that his magic was depicted was so singularly specific to Ditko's style. And then it was translated over the ages. And then it really became after that, depending on who would be bringing Doctor Strange's adventures each and every, uh, you know, issue, really w w where the popularity would gauge. Now, he got a featured role in a book we don't talk enough about called The Defenders. The Defenders uh, put him front front and center. The team books generally always sold better. And, 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 and just by, you know, absolute circulation, I can tell you, you got your monthly dose of Doctor Strange in The Defenders while his own monthly, his own comic book, in, in, in the 70s through the 80s, never rose above a monthly offering. At, 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 uh, at its most, they would squeeze maybe eight issues out. And some of the great stuff that I'm going to share with you today was stuff that came out maybe mostly six times a year. It was a bi-monthly book. It doesn't have that great success story like Frank Miller taking over Daredevil, taking it from almost canceled six, monthly, six, six, uh, six times a year to boom, you know, monthly, number one comic at Marvel. X-Men, same thing, comes back, it's bi-monthly. They can't seem to get it going. They almost cancel it again. John Byrne, Terry Austin happened. The book goes monthly. The book becomes number one. Doctor Strange, I'm going to share with you some of the fantastic stories that have been in that title, stories that you should seek out now that you're digging Doctor Strange. Quite frankly, I believe these are better than anything you've been given in Doctor Strange in the last 30 years. Yes, I'm, I'm going all the way back to the 90s on this. The first time that in my life, Doctor Strange kind of really blew my mind completely was um, besides the early Ditko reprints. And again, those stuff, that, that the Ditko reprints were coming out in Treasury Editions and they were coming out in those other pocketbooks because again, and I just got it, CBS, I've mentioned this a long t uh, all the time and they just released it on, on Blu-ray. So you should track down the original CBS. Yes, the network CBS made a Doctor Strange movie. Um, 
It was a two-hour made-for-TV movie. Morgan Le Fay, Doctor Strange. I, I, I kid you not. Um, the lead actor was not familiar to me. Um, the uh, the the, uh, the the mom, the, the 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 matriarch. Her name escapes me. She's a fantastic actress from uh, Arrested Development. Plays Morgana Le Fay, and uh, you will totally dig it. I, I I got it. It got delivered. I have yet I have yet to pop that back in and check that out for years. It's existed on YouTube, but now they've got a really nice print of it, and they put it out. I think it's the Shout Factory. If you're looking to get the Doctor Strange CBS movie from 1978, go to the Shout Factory. Check it out. Hopefully, they have some left. I bought mine a couple, maybe three, four weeks ago. But so during that time, again, CBS was doing Spider-Man. They were doing The Incredible Hulk, and they were doing Doctor Strange. They even do a they did a Captain America two-hour movie that kicked all sorts of ass for kids of my generation, starring Reb Brown, who was an athlete turned actor, and that caught a lot of attention. He has a motorcycle ham- helmet. Cap has a cool motorcycle. But again, during this period, this created the opportunity that Marvel was looking for to get to, to expand their publishing empire. And I mean, this is music to Stan's ears. I mean, he he absolutely one hundred percent took advantage of making certain that these we we got little pocketbooks we got we got a we got all manner of different uh reprints and 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 trade paperback productions of all of these different uh titles so that we could enjoy them because we'd be curious about them you know oh doctor strange is is a, is a tv sensation now boom here's the pocketbook at the uh Point of purchase at the grocery store. These they did it with Spider Man. They did it with Hulk. They did it with Doctor Strange. Obviously, Captain America. And during that same time, they were doing their Marvel Treasury editions. And this amazing Doctor Strange Treasury edition came together, and it reprinted some of the most exciting uh, Doctor Strange stories in recent memories. And it's got Ditko in it. It's got Frank Bruner, who we're going to talk about, because Frank Bruner was kind of an, another Neil Adams acolyte. And we talk about Neil a lot on the show for good reason. Obviously, he just passed away. I did a dedicated tribute to him. I would love for you to listen to it. I tried to honor him in the best way that I knew possible. But uh, the Neil Adams uh, acolytes were many. And, uh, and, and Frank Bruner m- might have been one of the most talented. His faces, his figures, his storytelling was was very influenced by Neil. And in fact, Neil would ink some of these amazing issues. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, from from Doctor Strange, uh, this this Frank Bruner issue. The the, the title of the story uh, is finally Shuma Goroth. And and it features Frank Frank Brunner on pencils and Krusty Bunkers, uh, and the uh, Neil Adams inking liberally figures and faces, and you will absolutely love it. But other than than like some scattered Frank Brunner issues, B R U N N E R. Frank also went on to launch uh, Howard the Duck. He was uh, one of those guys who you always enjoyed seeing, but like a Michael Golden or like an Arthur Adams, he wasn't going to give you an extended run. You couldn't rely on him for you know eight, nine, ten, twelve issues. Uh, certainly not on Doctor Strange. But those those books are beautiful. And, and just getting back to the Neil Adams of it all, Frank Bruner, right after I did my, my podcast uh, last week, dropped a really sweet note about Frank. And literally, it speaks of this Doctor Strange issue specifically. So we're going to kind of um, get get two bites at the same apple here. By, uh, by, by, by I'm going to read to you what Frank wrote about... Uh, about his experience with Mr. Neil Adams and his um, 
and his amazing continuity, uh, continuity studios. And he, uh, he wrote last week, really, this is just four days ago. So, and again, so this is Dr. Strange themed by, and you're like, Liefeld, you've never mentioned Frank Brunner again, sadly, uh, he was so talented. He went on to, he actually did some stuff for first comics too, called warp, uh, a book called warp fantasy book, uh, based on some existing, you know, uh, uh, material. I don't know if it's warp based on a play or is it on poems? I don't know, but it was some fantasy stuff. And Frank Brunner, look, it, he, he just, he wasn't a guy who, who hung around long enough for people to sink their teeth in. And early on in my podcast, season one, I talk about, it's a dedicated Art Adams, but it's called, and it, because he strung together, because Art Adams had been working for three out, three years, not three hours, three years from like 1983 through 85, 86, uh, toiled away. He did six issues of Longshot and two ish, two X-Men annuals and X, last issue of Longshot was double sized X-Men annual New Mutants annuals were like double sized so we'll count those all as double issues so three becomes six then you got the other five he did like 11 issues and they all came out in one year and and it was like the only run really dedicated run of full comic book work that Art Adams ever did he's done a couple you know three issues here four issues there two issues there on X-Factor and, and three issues on Fantastic Four. And then, of course, he did the Monkey Man and O'Brien stuff in the 90s. But what made his career was those 11 issues that got published in subsequent form. Like, boom, 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 boom. Long shot. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six is double size. Then two X-Men annuals that came out that were partnered together as part of the Asgardian Wars. It took all the mutants to Asgard and, and interact with all the Thor characters in the you know Thor world. And uh, again, being double-paged, double-sized, it really counts as two issues. So literally, it's 11 issues worth of work that made him. And guys like Frank Brunner and, and and again, Michael Golden was really made on the back of 12 issues of Micronauts, never really to be repeated. So Frank Brunner, extremely talented. If you look up his work, if you Google B-R-U-N-N-E-R, you'll see just a magnificent artist. Um, he wrote after Neil died. Rest in peace, Neil Adams. After Neil did Dead Man, I used to visit him a lot, and I would and he would go over my drawings and show me how to improve. It was kind of like a father-son relationship, which was really nice. He was a very idealistic person. The newer artists from both Marvel and DC would meet on the first Friday of every month and party, and later we'd go to an all-night cafe in New York. We'd be sitting there, and Neil would say something like, you're supposed to be artists, so look at everything with an artist's eye. Observe the world around you. Even say a telephone, how it's shaped, what is unique about that cord. Look at trees and people, especially people. They're all different. Neil made me more observant of the environment and everything so that when I was drawing, I had a better idea of what I was actually drawing. Later, when I was drawing Doctor Strange, there were no good inkers available at Marvel at the time. I ran over to Neil and begged him to do a crusty bunkers job until I could find a regular inker. It was kind of inconsistent, but better than anything else anyone could do, especially the bits where Neil would ink or Dick Giordano. Um, Dick became the inker as he started on it at the bunker. On the bunker jobs, Neil would go through all the pencils and he'd pick out the best panels and say, this is mine, and I'd just stand there and happily nod and say, whatever you say, Neil. We lost touch for years, and after I moved to California and I was working in animation, but David Spurlock got us together in Las Vegas in 2016, and we saw each other again at Charlotte Con and uh, Heroes Con in Charlotte in 2018. It was really nice. 
I told him in Vegas, and I will repeat it here. Thank you, Neil, for everything that you did for me. A Krusty Bunker's job is when Neil would give it to his studio. And there were many people in his studio at the time. There were up-and-comers like Joe Rubenstein, like Klaus Janssen. There was Dick Giordano. There was Terry Austin. There was Neil. There was Mike Nasser. Um, all manner, Rich, there were all manner of people going in and out. People like Dennis Cowan will say that they started uh, uh, at, 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 uh, at, at Continuity and were part of the Bunkers crew. Um, it, it's really fun to 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 have all the guys interact and, and go around with the the anything that said Krusty Bunkers on it. And again, I would sit with Neil at these different shows and he'd be like, I inked all that page. I only inked that face. I inked all the women on this page. I mean, he would just cherry pick, just like Frank Brunner said. But this one uh, particular uh, uh, Doctor Strange job in its glorious Treasury Edition reprint uh, has Neil's inks all over it in regards to Frank Brunner. So if you can check out any of that Frank Brunner X-Men stuff. I mean, uh, Dr. Strange stuff. <laughs> Slow down. If you can check out any of the Frank Brunner, Dr. Strange stuff, you will be richly rewarded. But this, that's just kind of the side meal to the entire kind of, uh, the, the meat of today's podcast, which is when Dr. Strange was awesome for about a three year period, it could not rise the book to a monthly level. And I think part of it was the reason that it was awesome. So Doctor Strange, if you look in, you see in like 1977, 1978, they were publishing Doctor Strange, but it was bi-monthly. It could not sustain a monthly circulation. So what Marvel would often do with some of their lesser characters, again, when Frank Miller took over Daredevil and again on X-Men, so this was something known. These were also bi-monthly books. If the sales started really sp spurring on, they would turn and try and make it a monthly. I believe what happened with Doctor Strange in this segment that I'm going to sh share with you is that the talent just... I, the sales literally bumped up. Doctor Strange becomes one of my favorite comic books because of the creative team. And isn't that funny? Characters come and go. But, but you know, movie series, I guess the closest thing to it, probably the recent Star Wars, which was hit and miss, somewhat with Jurassic Park. They use different directors. And some directors are more favored than others. And that's the closest you're going to get. You know, on television, 10, 10, 10 different directors will do 10 different episodes or six different epi six different directors will divide episodes. But, you know, if you're like me, you always want to see which one's who directed what, because maybe one stood out to you. But in comics, literally, a creative team could turn you onto a character and get you to be devoted to that comic while that creative team was making that character. And only then, and when they left, so did you. The lucky thing about what I'm going to share with you today is some of the greatest talent at Marvel in the late 70s, early 80s decides to stick around and make Doctor Strange their haunt from 1981 well through 1984. Now, again, it's six issues a year, maybe one or two of those years, they squeezed eight in, but you're, you're, you know, this not, is this is not a book that's coming out regularly, but nonetheless, it is one that you are drinking up because it is done so well. Roger Stern took over Dr. Strange in 1979. Uh, Chris Claremont, ironically, had been writing it prior to that, uh, back and forth. And, uh, he had Gene Colan, Gene Colan, who eventually shortly after this left and went to DC Comics. Um, because he didn't feel like he was being appreciated. And I got to be honest, I don't think they, Dr. Strange was not sparking anyone's creative passion until Claremont and Gene Colan wrap up their basically year long run, which, you know, let's see, 38, 39, 40, 41, 40, uh, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45. So they do about eight issues together. One, two, three, 
four, five, six, seven. They do eight issues together from 77, 78 to 79. And then, uh, or 70, 79 to 80. I'll, I'll tell you where Dr. Strange was at. If you want to go all the way back to 77, 78, he has a different artistic team every issue. In Dr. Strange 30, it's drawn by Tom Sutton. In Dr. Strange... 31, it's drawn by Ricardo Villamonte. In Doctor Strange, 32, it's drawn by Alan Kupperberg. In Doctor Strange, 33, this is again 77, 78, it's back to being Tom Sutton. Um, in uh, Tom Sutton goes on a couple issue run, then we go to Gene Colan in issue 36. And Gene stays around and teams up with Chris Claremont for that eight issues that crosses over two years. But I'm telling you, I would grab those books. Some, they always made sure they had great covers. Marvel was great about always giving something great covers. But um, the stories were elegant. Gene was certainly a really great artist. Some people will say he's one of the best illustrators in comics. The way he draws faces and figures and drapery and clothing. He had done a knockout job on the entirety of the run of Tomb of Dracula, which was critically acclaimed, and Doctor Strange faced off against Dracula during that time. If you've never read the Marv Wolfman, Gene Colan, uh, Tomb of Dracula, maybe in time for uh, Halloween next year, you'll grab all those issues, and they are exciting. Blade the Vampire Hunter uh, debuts in these pages. Uh, he comes to life as a result of the Tomb of Dracula series. That's that's where he was born. But as far as Doctor Strange, while, the, while, while when Dan gets there, I'm sorry... When Gene Colan gets there, going back through these issues before I got on the air with you today, before I recorded, they're just very, it didn't seem like they were inspired. Now what happens, that's all, that's all I can say. If you look through them, they're kind of just, um, it just, it, it, it felt like a, a, even, even though Claremont did eight issues, they just kind of felt like they were running in place. Well then Roger Stern comes on. Roger Stern, who you heard me mention in a recent Captain America episode about the greatest comic book run that ever was because Roger Stern and John Byrne combined to knock it out of the park. And had they done a two-year run, I, I guarantee you it would be one of the most revered runs in the history of comic books because the eight or nine issues that they managed to do were perfect. They were perfect. Roger went on to do a bunch of Avengers issues. But the thing with Roger is he never got great artists until this run on Doctor Strange. Now, let me tell you something. You've heard me, I think in year one, I mentioned some Batman books that you've never heard of. And one of them was a run that is wildly acclaimed, but literally forgotten. And I don't know how, but if you go and look up any of the detective comics that were drawn by Marshall Rogers and Terry Austin, I believe Steve Englehart was the author, but the art, Todd McFarlane's penchant for capes and the absolute way that he depicted Batman late in the 80s when he did his brief stint on Batman and then what he would carry over with capes in everything regarded to Prowler in Spider-Man or Spawn. Uh, he really, the first guy to strut and do that style of those sharp, like ridiculously long capes that would slice through the air was Marshall Rogers. His, his Batman, again, a very short run, but it put him on the map. People flipped out for this stuff. Terry Austin, Marshall Rogers, they did about a year nine, ten issues on uh, Detective Comics featuring Batman. And they were like, they just blew people's minds. You don't see a lot of that original art out there. People hunt for it all the time. Well, fandom really, again, put them on a pedestal. Like, like had they done more work, that would be an even more celebrated run. But again, you know, you got to get deep into those double digits. And you go, but life, and look, I've told you, like, I've got about a 25-issue run, so does Jim Lee, 
on X-Men and, and on New Mutants slash X-Force. You, you put that, though, you, you start racking it up, you get into the teens, you really build that relationship with your, with your reader. Marshall Rogers and Terry Austin didn't do anything that followed up on, on their detective run. Terry then co-opted and became a dedicated, you know, anchor over on X-Men doing John Byrne each and every month. He'd fit in extra jobs, extra covers, but he was never really paired with Marshall again until 1981, several years after. Uh, the the 1976-1977 is that Detective Comics run. And again, the Marshall Rogers, Terry Austin stuff, the minute you look at it, you're like, this doesn't look like it belongs in the 70s. It's really fresh, dynamic, sharp, um, great, great gestures, great action, great storytelling, but very pretty depiction of that entire world and the villains and Joker and, you know, the calculator and all the different zany characters that are running through it. But it's really good. It's it's top flight art. It, it's stuff that people go, hey, do you have any Marshall Rogers, Terry Austin, Batman stuff? I've seen that so often and nobody has any of it. Well, Marshall Rogers joins with Roger Stern in 1981 to start doing Doctor Strange and together they do one, two, three, four, five, six straight issues that are fantastic. That is the bedrock, the basis of everything that I'm talking to you about today. Doctor Strange 48 is the arrival, and I'm telling you, it is a big, splashy cover. It has got all manner of, and, and I'm going to go back, and by showing you what they did, kind of justify what I'm saying in regards to like somebody like a Gene Colan. It didn't feel like he phoned it in because he could never phone it in because he was too good, but the excitement wasn't there. And I'm going to tell you, even on the cover of their first issue of Doctor Strange, with and, and you can tell Roger Stern, it just he goes for it. I mean, the opening of this issue is Stephen Strange at, at a bank. He's making a deposit in his, you know, in his identity as the as Stephen Strange, not Doctor Strange. He's as a civilian. Bank robbers come in. He immediately hits the ground, but he sends his astral form under the ground, zooming back up through and behind the robbers and then terrifies them in his astral form because in his astral form he can be Doctor Strange and so then he comes upon them with all his magic while his physical form is face down kind of face turned away so that nobody sees that he's doing this while they're robbing the bank and it is told brilliantly magnificently he buys enough time for when the cops get there he has subdued through his magic these bank robbers who are endangering the life of everybody it is the most lickety-split five-page opening action sequence. It is brilliantly drawn. Uh, Marshall Rogers, again, draws very... He, he's not hes not too far off of the same realm of what you get with the John Byrne. Very stylized, pretty, uh, slightly on the cartoony side faces. Very expressive. And then you've got Terry Austin's very clean art. But what you see on the cover is special effects. Now, you can't do this... You know, there was no computers. There was no Macintosh, no Mac you know, array of special effects that you could grab, no Photoshop, you know, no Cintiq, none of that. Terry Austin was doing this all with um, the the different um, film that they would sell called Duotone. Some some of it had dots, some of it had white dots on black, some of it had black dots, some of, some of them had more black dots more separated, some of them had tight lines. Duotone was really fun. There was, a, there was an architectural store uh, not too far from my school, in high school, and so I would take that route home and started to go in and buy a ton of Duotone. Howard Chaikin, who you've heard me mention, uses Duotone a ton. Eric Larson on his Spider-Man and on his Dragon, especially his his kind of his when he took over for Todd on the adjectiveless Spider-Man book, and then on the way 
early on in, in Dragon, he was using a ton of different Zipatone effects because there weren't these computer means with which to manufacture this stuff. Terry Austin is all over this book. I cannot tell you how many screens, tones, uh, films that he is pasting on the boards uh, to give multiple layers of special effects in regards to the way Dr. Strange, Dr. Strange is casting his spells or depicting his magic. And it never takes uh, the foot off the pedal the entirety of their six issues that they do together. Brother Voodoo shows up in the first issue saying he is haunted by this uh, this evil spirit, uh, uh, Dambala. And of course, Doctor Strange teams up with Brother Voodoo to contain this evil, like, kind of serpent spirit that has possessed him. It is a great first issue. It reminds you how exciting and compelling any character can be when there is passion in the artwork and, and in the execution of the artwork. And Marshall Rogers and Terry Austin, you're like, Life, why have you never talked about this? Well, Doctor Strange didn't have a big movie coming out, and this is the perfect time. Again, I would love for you to go seek out these comics, whether they're back issues, whether they're in their trade collections, which they are. And, and check them out. This is, again, Doctor Strange 1981, issue 48 is where all the magic starts to happen. And again, Doctor Strange is just kind of plodding along. I mean, I, 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 I was sharing with you guys, aside from some of the sweet covers, I mean, he's getting a different artist every issue in 1978. I mean, it, it literally is like they're just keeping it out there to keep the copywriter alive, to keep the trademark alive, to keep the property in the public view and especially the fact that he got this big CBS movie, hey, maybe that had gotten even twice the ratings that it did and they would have greenlight either a series of Doctor Strange movies or a Doctor Strange series. But it didn't. And so again, Doctor Strange does not rise above its bi-monthly status. So again, it doesn't become something that really is exciting for somebody who, who wants to do maybe 10 or 12 issues a year because there's no way you can make a bi-monthly schedule more than the six issues that they've got slotted. Every other month is... Um, is, is a hard trench to dig out of. But again, I mean, there are so many screens and patterns and um, film that Terry, and the, the way you have to do this, like right now I'm seeing like Dr. Strange's casting spell and behind him is a one of the Zipatone patterns. And because I've done this, and I can tell you, and I did some of this on X-Force as well, you would cut, you place the film, which is clear, over the art, and then you pencil out exactly where you want it to go and you better line it up exactly right. Always better to, go a little heavier than a little less because if you go a little less, you you can't fill in the space that the film isn't going to fit through. If you go over, you can slice it, but you have to, with an exacto razor blade knife, this was dangerous, cut out the film, paste it down. Yes, this is how so much of this. Klaus Janssen used this copiously, uh, copious amounts of this in the Daredevil run. Terry Austin would dabble with it on the X-Men and then go full hog, crazy, on uh, Doctor Strange, which then we get into Doctor Strange 49, and it's a beautiful depiction of like Clea and Doctor Strange exploring other realms in their astral states. And I mean, you really see these these two are in love. They are um, they really play up the romantic quality. Starting this issue, Terry uses several of the dot pattern films to kind of create gray gray tones rather than like an ink wash. He does gray tones against Baron Mordo and Stephen Strange's. Um, uh, uh, you know, their, their faces, their, their, their close-ups. It's almost like uh, Marshall Rogers probably used a side of his pencil to shade some of this stuff in. And Terry decided, I can do that via this these film patterns and give you a gray effect, and then the color would go over that. But looking at these in black and white, I have the Doctor Strange Essential number 4, which has the bulk of everything that I'm going to share with you today. This second issue that, um, it, it, that, that introduces Baron Mordo and sets, up, up, sets them up in, into fierce 
combat is again beautifully illustrated beautiful faces beautiful storytelling beautiful figure work and so much Marshall is very Marshall Rogers is very inspired by all of the visual language that Steve Ditko put forth in the way that he depicted certain spells certain totems and different realms and he just goes after it and I am telling you this work is inspired I can as I sit here and share it with you guys and again I'm seeing all these different I mean Terry Austin literally because there is no shortage of what was available in terms of Zipatone, they would have hundreds of different sheets with different patterns, different ways that lines crossed or dots, dot patterns, splatter effects. Terry, it's like he went and he loaded up and he just, every page has that extra effort. Cause guys, that's extra effort. Again, you're now exact, you're now adding an exacto knife, um, to, to your applications. But there is an amazing showdown between Dr. Strange and Baron Mordo, um, where they are fighting physically as well as astrally. It continues. Oh my gosh, this last panel of issue 49, he has used the entire, there's a white pattern, there's a white dot pattern that you can put over your line art that scales it back. And Terry put an entire white pattern behind a laughing Baron Mordo face and uh, behind the female figure in front of it as the, on the last page. And it is so ridiculously effective. Um, D- Dr. Strange... 50 is introduces Nightmare into their run. Nightmare, again, a, a huge character created by Steve Ditko with Stan Lee. And they, um, he's one of my favorites because of the ways that he, uh, we are now, you know, right on the precipice during this is coming out of being, you know, under the onslaught of the Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, movies, which Freddy Krueger ain't got nothing on Nightmare. I mean, he's got a lot of pop recognition and he's well better known but nightmare on his wicked horse riding through your nightmares controlling your dreams and 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 controlling your visions uh was established again through ditko with lee and here again in 1981 they 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 give you this fantastic depiction now with nightmare alongside baron mordo but the great thing is dr strange goes back in time and the next thing you know stephen strange is in world war ii alongside Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos, Dum Dum Dugan. And now they're, you know, uh, in, in, in Europe and, and, and Dr. Strange is interacting with, uh, with, 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 again, these Howling Commandos from Marvel's World War II back in time. And this is just the first of many uh, jumps that are going to happen as he is chasing Baron Mordo. We are eventually going to jump right back into skipping over because he's still back in World War II um, and depicting how Hitler, this, this story is fantastic. Roger Stern has got Hitler uh, in his, you know, full throes. The, 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 the Third Reich is looking to find a mystical means to win the war. And Baron Mordo has disguised himself and gone back in time. And Dormammu is in it. So, I mean, you're getting all of Doctor Strange mystical, magical um, um, cast back in World War II trying to change the course of history. And Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos are storming a, a, a Nazi stronghold while while Doctor Strange is trying to track down Baron Mordo. Dormammu is, uh, is, is present um, Dormammu is controlling all of it. It is, it is fast paced. It is big. It is splashy. It's complicated. It is detailed. That's the one thing that fans are, Oh, but his, the work is so detailed. I love it. Well, this work is so detailed and you will love it and crisp and clean. And we keep this going. Dr. Strange 52. I told you they're going to give you like six straight issues. I mean, so again, six times 22. I mean, you're looking at 130 plus pages, 136 pages of Marshall Rogers and Terry Austin 
on issues 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53. But it gets better. But I'm not there yet. Issue 54 uh, kind of, again, puts Nightmare, you know, front and center alongside Dormammu. But now we continue to go back and forth because uh, Doctor Strange 53, he journeys back into an issue of Fantastic Four where they first met and battled Rama Tut, who has connections to Kang the Conqueror. I have a dedicated Kang the Conqueror podcast. It's it's on, uh, I think, uh, Bring on the Bad Guys uh, Kang the Conqueror is the name of the episode. It's in season two of my podcast. And Rama Tut is a time traveler uh, connected with Kang the Conqueror. He first came across the Fantastic Four. There's an eerie scene. I was looking through this where Doctor Strange is escorted by four robot sentries that really is reminiscent of what you see in the trailers for the new Doctor Strange movie when the Ultron bots created, presumably by, by a t- Tony Stark uh, variant is escorting him to see, you know, in the, in, in the commercial, if you've seen the commercials where the Baron Mordo says, you know, the Illuminati will see you now. And then he's being escorted. There is a scene like this in this comic. It, it made me think that this is what they kind of inspired them because these four robot sentries are escorting and then placing Dr. Strange's form into this uh, sarcophagus. And again, they are futuristic robot sentries back in Egypt where Rama Tut, again, who looks Egyptian, is, is I think we're, we're back in like, I don't know if it's Fantastic Four, four or five, or one of the early issues where they originally encountered Ramatut. So now you've got Doctor Strange flying through that issue. I love when they do that. They, they go back in time and they inject a new story on top of an existing story. And that's what they do here with Doctor Strange 53. Well, when, in 54, it's a fill-in issue where the art chores are split by Brent Anderson, who was a emerging superstar for Marvel. And he would do do also some X-Men annual, some X-Men fill-in issues, and then he would relaunch Kazar uh, with, uh, with, with Marvel, which became extremely more relevant than it had ever been before. But the framing sequence is by Paul Smith. And the reason why I tell you that is Paul Smith is a strange cat. He did a seminal year that rocked everyone to their core on the X-Men. And uh, people were just dying for Paul Smith to just do a second year, but he left. He did one year. And he would do the convention circuit and guys like me would wait in line as a teenage kid, as a 15-year-old kid and wait for a sketch and pay for a commission for Paul Smith and beg him, beg him, beg him as he drew Wolverine versus Sabretooth for me and he'd, I'd beg him to come back to the X-Men. He's like, no, I, I did it. I got paid really good. I got those nice royalties that they're giving out on X-Men and I'm going to ride my bike around the uh, around the uh, America for the next year. But when I get back, I'm probably going to do some Doctor Strange. I'm like, well, okay, that's better than nothing at all. But he was a very eclectic, very um, uh, uh, just just a lone wolf. And again, Marvel would even tell you, ah, you got to know Paul Smith. He just he he wants to ride his motorcycle more than anything. Paul Smith came from animation. He worked with Ralph Bakshi. I've talked about him in the Lord of the Rings animation episodes. I've mentioned him many times. He was central to the surge of popularity the X Men uh, uh, experienced after John Byrne left. The one year that Paul Smith did is one of the uh, most revered like runs in the entire history of the X-Men and some actually hold it up as one of the like second most important runs. It's so fantastic. You should absolutely check it out. He reemerges on Doctor Strange, but not before we get a state-of-the-art fill-in issue that people absolutely flipped over. It's Doctor Strange 55 is another nightmare-themed issue, but Doctor Strange is slowly going mad and he meets this kind of very mischievous 
sorcerer called Dakim the Enchanter. And Dakim the Enchanter takes Doctor Strange on kind of a this is your life um, sort of weird trip that finds Doctor Strange actually reading the pocketbook that I told you they were selling, uh, you know, when promoting his CBS movie, his his TV movie in 78. So in 1982, now he's holding this. And, uh, and he says, this this book recounts my first battle with Dormio in great detail. So he's looking at the Steve Ditko adventure. And he's like, yes, that's the first novel. Uh, still, I think it's the best, says says the sorcerer who's giving him this guide in this kind of, uh, it's a little bit of a, you know, uh, this is your life or a, um, a a Christmas carol type, you know, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a Christmas carol style story. And the... Uh, the, the, the funny thing is that it's beautifully illustrated by Michael Golden, again, of Micronauts of, you know, and it's inked by Terry Austin. And I know a guy who literally has over 600 copies of this book, this single issue. It is his favorite comic of all time. He tries to buy them whenever he sees them. If there's a bunch of them at a convention, he buys all 20 of them. He's shown them online. He is obsessed with this comic. It is literally in the discussion for greatest comic book of all time, illustrated of all time, right after Superman, Muhammad Ali. Um, Doctor Strange walks outside the theater. He sees people enter, exiting the theater. They've seen Doctor Strange 2 beyond Ragador. Um, it's it's uh, really like, again, he's visiting a reality where he is a huge fictional character. Um, he meets the Defenders, but then sees that they're all actors. And then what happens is, I, I know I mentioned Nightmare. I was erroneously saying Nightmare. This enchanter, this wizard that's taking him on this tour is truly another mystical character from Marvel Comics called Despair, D-apostrophe-S-P-A-Y-R-E. And it's got this giant battle at the end, this mystical battle between the two of them that, again, is a giant flex. I mean, Michael Golden, maybe at his all-time most potent, inked by Terry Austin, and it is it is mind-blowing to behold. It is beautiful. What follows then is Paul Smith from X-Men jumps on board and he starts his run of issues. And if you thought that you loved Marshall Rogers, you, you're going to be blown away as you can hear me turning these pages. The, the, the work is beautiful. I mean, again, more magic, mischief, uh, mayhem, menace. And along the way, Paul Smith will then come in and out of the book. I think all the way through like 1984, uh, having done, uh, uh, Paul Smith, um, I believe he exits. His final issue is Doctor Strange 68, and that is uh, released in September of 1984. Again, the book never goes monthly, but this stretch from 48, okay, from Doctor Strange, from Doctor Strange 48 to uh, Doctor Strange 68, across four years, 20 issues that are nothing short of some of the most beautiful comic books that you've ever seen, but they're also super imaginative. Roger Stern is on top of his game, creating the most inventive ways to make Marvel's Sorcerer Supreme as dynamic as he's ever seen. Again, his relationship with Clea is tested. All of his giant foes, all of what I call the Ditko Trio, Baron Mordo, Dormammu, and Nightmare come at him in different ways. The time-traveling aspect, chasing you know, his um, magic nemesis back through time, going through World War II and then going all the way back to ancient Egypt in an early issue of the Fantastic Four, where again, they are depicted as they were by Jack Kirby. Sue has her Kirby flipped, you know, hair. Um, Thing is a little bulkier. Uh, it is really uh, beautiful, especially given the the 
really sharp and clean and precision and modern line that, that Terry Austin applies to all of it. Uh, the stories are incredibly imaginative. That Michael Golden one shot, Doctor Doctor Strange fifty five. If if honestly, if there's only one book you get that you want to check out, that book will blow your mind. The deception. It, I mean, Doctor Strange is depressed. He's visited by a mischievous sorcerer. That sorcerer takes him on kind of a this is your life, like I told you, a Christmas Carol type journey. He's reading. He's 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 in an, he's in a reality where he's a fictional character, where his movies are giant hits, where his former teammates are depicted by actors. Um, but the artwork is fantastic. And then when Despair finally reveals himself and they have like a five, six page magic throwdown, it is Michael Golden on steroids. The, I mean, again, why do we love comics? Because of the art and the creative team. And this is a period of time, these 20 issues, that Marshall Rogers comes in with a head of steam and he and Terry Austin are on the book for an entire year. And then boom, we go Michael Golden. Then boom, we go Paul Smith in the in the intermediary. We get some Dan Green inked by Terry Austin. We get a great standalone Kevin Nolan, another outstanding illustrator. Doctor Strange becomes, for those uh, two years, the showcase, the absolute, For I'm sorry, those four years, 81 to 84, those six issues a year, becomes a art, an artistic showcase, the likes of which Marvel did not have during that time. The, after Paul Smith leaves the X-Men, it goes to John Romita's Jr. He is not loved by the fans of that time that, that grew up on... Cockrum, Byrne, and Paul Smith, and the Avengers has gone to kind of older hands to interpret uh, an almost retired John Buscema and Tom Palmer. The Defenders gets canceled. Um, it's not a, like the mid-80s, I've said this many times, is not a great time in my head for Marvel. Secret Wars kind of shocks them out of it, which happens in 84, but from 81 to 84, Doctor Strange boasts the best artistic lineup that they've ever seen. Again, Marshall Rogers, Terry Austin, Michael Golden, Terry Austin, Paul Smith, Terry Austin, Dan Green, Terry Austin. And Dan Green is an inker who actually can pencil like ridiculously well, uh, almost some really good photorealistic stuff. But then you come back to Paul Smith along with Kevin Nolan. And then literally it's, um, it's that the, the, this comic veers off towards again, an, another kind of giant drop off because the art isn't there. And eventually they relaunch it. In the later in the 80s with a new creative team trying to again capture, wait for it, the magic. But this is a run. If you want to have the best time with Doctor Strange, if you want to see him wielding all sorts of magic and spells and sorcery in different realms, and I think this is, for me, this is the high point of Marvel publishing Doctor Strange. Put me to the test. This is absolutely how I see it, how I believe it should be revered. Um, most fanboys of the time will tell you they started picking up Doctor Strange. Again, I think Doctor Strange's sales went through the roof, but they couldn't get the art teams to deliver faster. The one thing that connects uh, Marshall Rogers and Paul Smith and Michael Golden and Kevin Nolan <laughs> is these guys aren't fast. And 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 yet you look back and you go, when was there an issue of Doctor Strange that didn't have the most brilliant art? And again. Look at all the work I'm telling you that Terry Austin and Marshall Rogers put in it. You'll see all the penciling, the details, the crazy gestures, the storytelling, the giant scope of the stories is provided, again, through Roger Stern and Marshall Rogers and their storytelling. But then Terry Austin rolls up his sleeve. And you know what? To quote Tom DeFalco, when I was putting a ton of lines and detail on the page, he said he called me up and he said, hey, you know, we don't pay you by the line. The page rate doesn't go up if you put more lines on it, and it doesn't go down if you put less. We pay you by the page, not by the line. You know, it's something to remember. And he chuckled. He was he was kind of having fun with the notion that like you're overloading these pages with lines and lines and lines and detail, 
and, it, and maybe you could speed things up if you did less of that. And when you look at Terry Austin, his page rate stayed the same, and he was cutting film, dropping duotone. I mean, the effort that he put forth in Doctor Strange to make this run special is amazing. Again, to ink Michael Golden and Paul Smith and Marshall Rogers and Kevin Nolan and Dan Green. I mean, he really made it his book. He took great pride in it. The, um, the stories, I can't get more excited than I've already told you. Chock full of guest stars, great villains, really honors the legacy of Doctor Strange. This was the high point. I don't believe Doctor Strange has ever even come close to where it was in this period, which is squarely towards the, uh, as we are approaching the end of the Bronze Era. But man, this is a bright, bright spot for uh, Doctor Strange. I shared with you um, from the Essential Edition. Again, Doctor Strange Essential, it's their black and white phone books where they just give you the line art. It is my preferred way to look at this stuff because it is so textured, so detailed. So anyway, if you have a hankering for Doctor Strange, it doesn't get better than what I just shared with you. Start at Doctor Strange 48 and just keep on going through 68. Maybe you go further into the Brett Blevins issues. Um, you can feel free to do that, but the 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 cream is right there, you know, in those in those issues 48 to issue 68. And uh, and I and I hope that you are able to uh, check those out. And and as you are getting excited by the Doctor Strange of it all, commercials and trailers and all the buzz and all the actors promoting it, that you seek out the actual comic book source material that made the character so exciting in the first place. And with that, I am here to tell you that I am taking a little sabbatical, a bit, a bit of a sabbatical, a little uh, time off. I will be back shortly but uh, hopefully there is a backlog of episodes that you guys can dive into and enjoy. Um, just really always enjoy sharing all this uh, comic book talk, comic book history, comic book characters, comic book creators. Um, so check back with me in a couple of weeks. Uh, barring some crazy emergency, again, I will um, be, be missing uh, the next week or so, possibly two weeks. But Thank you, as always, for turning in um, to to tune, tuning in to the show and, and listening. Uh, I value um, all all of your feedback, and I love hearing from you guys. I'm on social media at Robert Liefeld is my Twitter handle at Rob Liefeld is my Instagram handle. Both of those have blue checks, so that you know that it's really me. Um, we we have a dedicated fan page on Facebook. Observations with Rob Liefeld. Check us out there. Uh, continue to spread the word. Thanks a lot. Thank you for your reviews and, 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 and reading them. And I'll, I should have a nice stack when I get back. Cause you guys are so generous. Take care of yourselves, read good comics, eat good food, hang out with, with good people. Um, love your family, love your friends. I'm rooting for you. Your spiritual, your mental, your emotional, um, your, your physical health matters. So, so absolutely look out for yourself. Take care of yourself, of, of, of each other and yourselves. And Circle back here very soon. I will be back amongst you. We will talk again.